Second John, um, the the principal verses, the the the, the Center verses, the summary verses in Second John. All John's writings, he has summary verses, which help the reader out a lot. The summary verses of Second John, he says to the reader, Now I beseech thee, lady, and I believe the lady there again, he's speaking to the local New Testament church and her children, which is the membership. Not as though I wrote a new commandment unto thee, but that which we had from the beginning. The we there is the local church, specifically the apostles, as they were walking from the upper room to the garden. The Lord Jesus Christ in John chapter 13, before they got up and left, they were still in the upper room. But in that dialogue, he says, a new commandment I give thee that you love one another. Right. So he says, not a new commandment. I write, uh, write, wrote, uh, I wrote new, no new commandment unto thee, but that which we had from the beginning. Who is the we? The Lord's assembly. That he explained this in John chapter 13. That we love one another. And remember, as Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ continued, he said you'd be known by your love, that you want love one another. And then the explanation, this is love, that we walked after his commandments. So the expression of a spiritual truth is known in the behavior of those who hold it. Okay? If I say... I I love my wife and family, but show no outward evidence of that, then that would that would be troubling, wouldn't it? He says this is love. This is how love is expressed of the children of God that we walk after his commandments. Appreciation and love expressed. How did God love his people? We read that in first John, hearing his love, not that we love God, but that he loved us. First John chapter four, verse ten. So this is love that we walk after his commandments, so that the expression of love as experienced from God would have a bodily form, an outward expression. This is the commandment that as you have heard from the beginning, what goes in the ear, you should walk in it. It comes out in the body. The Lord Jesus Christ said you'll know them by their fruit. And he says that many times, doesn't he? So John is dealing with Gnosticism. Remember the idea of Gnosticism. In your mind, settle that question. What is Gnosticism? Short definition People that believe that knowledge is salvation. Okay, knowledge is salvation. There's a lot of people that believe that knowledge is salvation. Oh yeah, I believe there's a God. Well, I believe there is a God is not salvation. No, it's 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 experiential. It's an experience, but it's a spiritual matter, right? If I experience getting hit by a truck, that's an experience, but it evidences itself in my in, in the flesh, doesn't it? So if someone experiences the new birth, then it comes out. When a baby is born, what do you expect almost immediately, mothers? A cry, don't you? You expect a physical, tangible evidence of a birth. Okay, so that's, you don't have to teach a mother. Of all languages, mothers understand that no signs of life means stillbirth, and God has absolutely zero stillbirths, meaning he doesn't born someone again, and then they have no evidence of life. Okay, that's what Gnosticism preaches. John has been handling that. So now we're reading verse 10. If there come any unto you and bring not this doctrine, receive him not into your house, neither bid him God speak. So again, if we're talking about a lady that's representative to the Lord's assembly, he calls it an assembly. So he's not saying don't individually don't, don't invite somebody into your house, which is a good policy. You know, somebody doesn't hold the doctrine of Christ. And that's what he's talking about, holding up this doctrine. He's talking about the doctrine of Christ. But he's talking to a local assembly. 
And he's talking to a local assembly saying, hey, look, if somebody, even from their first confession of faith, if they do not stand, if they cannot articulate, I was dead and now I'm alive. And this is what God has done, even in a, in a basic form. If they deny the doctrine of Christ, well, God offered and I reached out my hand. That, that's, that's not the doctrine of Christ. He says, do not receive that person. Do not receive them into your house. Don't bring him into the fellowship of the church. Neither bid him God speak. And we're going to get into all this. Okay? So title for the message is Again with the Gnostic. Again with the Gnostic. He's really hammering this down, isn't he? We need to understand it. And this is a short book. It would take us 10 minutes to read it cover to cover. But we really have to understand this. If there come any unto you. Well, they will. And they have. And they're known by their doctrine. They're known by, by what, what do they believe and how does that translate in their lives. Okay, they're known. So he says, if there come any unto you, why would someone who believes something other than the doctrine of Christ come to a place where the doctrine of Christ is preached? Why would they want to be a part of that? That's a great question, isn't it? Because they believe that knowledge is salvation. Someone believes the Gnostic that John is warning against, go back up to verse 7, they're deceivers and they're antichrist. And perhaps they've deceived themselves. Perhaps they think they have something that this elect lady has, and they don't. They just have a knowledge of it, a head knowledge. I can speak from experience. I was Gnostic. I had a head knowledge at one point. I could, I could articulate and explain things in the Bible and had never experienced a new birth and neither did I act like it. But I, I could explain it to people. There were times that I would get frustrated listening to the preachers because I knew what they believed and I felt like I could explain it better than they could. That didn't mean I was saved. It meant I was Gnostic. It meant I, I, I didn't hold that doctrine, right? So the doctrine of Christ. He says, if there, if there come any unto you and bring not this doctrine. So we're going to spend the end of this message rehearsing what the doctrine is. If, if we're to be critical and analytical of who we're not supposed to bring in, I think we need to have the details of what we're not supposed to bring in nailed down. Right? So let's, let's rehearse that for just a few minutes. And maybe this message won't take as long as we think it will. And then or maybe, I don't know. So the doctrine, what the doctrine, if there come in, in unto you, if there come any unto you and bring not this doctrine, well, what doctrine? Go back to verse 9. Whoso transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ, meaning they, they do not hold the tangible point of view that Jesus Christ came to save sinners from their sins, yes, in the world to come, but in this life also. If they do not believe that there is a cleansing, yes, in death under righteousness, but yes, in this life also. And they continue in that transgression. They do not abide in the doctrine of Christ. Does that make sense? And it says they don't have God. Don't matter what comes out of their mouth. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, or he that has been converted and dwells, and yes, not sinlessly perfect, but when sin comes, so does repentance and desire to abide in the doctrine of Christ. 
He has both God, the Father, and the Son. Known of God. Known of God. Sin bothers them. Okay? A preacher friend that I, that I have, um, I've known him my whole life. When he was first saved, he approached his pastor at the time and says, Hey, look, I, I think I'm saved. I thought I was, but, but I find myself doing those same kind of things at times that I was doing before. What's wrong? The pastor asked him, Okay, well, you're, if that's the case, he said, Did it bother you before, those things that you're doing? And he said, No, it didn't bother me. I enjoyed those things. He said, does it bother you now? Well, of course, immensely. That's why I'm here. These things bother you. He said, you're a saved person. Your sin will bother you. You know, If you have issues with such and such and so and so, those things do not just magically poof away. The Holy Spirit convicts and draws in repentance. Repentance was not a one-time thing. It's a, it's a continual lifelong event Amen. of exposure of sin and repentance and drawing near unto God. So if someone does not have that doctrine and it does not be practiced in their life, John says, if they're coming in there and bring not this doctrine, there's no evidence of repentance. You vipers bring forth fruit, meat for repentance. That's what, that's what John the Baptist, that's, he lived and experienced and, and worked out, Second John chapter 10, didn't he? There in Jordan. He says, receive him not into your house, neither bid him God speak. The doctrine of Christ. We, we touched on it last week and spent some time. Let's, let's revisit the doctrine of Christ. What is the doctrine of Christ? That Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. Anything less than Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ being God in the flesh, is, is blasphemy, is what it is. Blasphemy. The Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, God Himself, had to become flesh and blood. Had to. We didn't see this before, but let's look at it, if you would, in the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 2. And verse 14. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, He also Himself likewise took part of the same that through death he might destroy him that had power, the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver them. Look at, look at all the things that happened because Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. So overthrow the devil and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. So deliver his people from the, the chains and shackles of death. Who here is excited about the prospect of death? We all have that reservation about death. But Jesus Christ in the flesh gives comfort and hope in that. Who here does, uh, are you, do you have hope in Christ in death? Even in death, yes, you, there's hope there. So verily he took not on him the nature of angels, but took on him the, the seed of Abraham. Wherefore in all things it behooved it is necessary for him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest. Merciful. And faithful, high priest and things pertaining to God, Godward, to reconcile, to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. You tell me how important it was that Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. Well, that's a summary of everything. The Gnostic, they, they hold to the fact that, that Jesus Christ didn't come in the flesh. And if you talk to many Gnostics, they won't admit that. 
It's okay for him that he came in the flesh, just that the flesh and blood experience of Jesus Christ is not translated to my flesh and blood experience. Because if he didn't die in the flesh and rise again, if he didn't die in the flesh and rise again, we studied, we did study this. Look over in, in Romans chapter 6, if you would. If he physically didn't die in the flesh and rise again, being the Son of God, then in my flesh it's not borne out. And the reverse is also true. If I say that, that there is no result in the flesh of my salvation, I'm also saying that the real-life experience of Christ in his gospel is also not true. You see how that goes both ways? If I say my face hurts because Lex slapped it, well, that also means he slapped it. I mean, it goes both, it calls and effect. There's cause and effect there. Cause and effect. What shall we then say? What shall we say then? At Romans chapter 6, verse 1. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. No, cause and effect. Look at this cause and effect. God in the flesh. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? doesn't mean you never sin again. doesn't mean you'll dwell there or continue there. Know, not, know ye not that so many of us were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death. A picture, death, burial, and resurrection, that's entrance into the Lord's assembly. Authority, we understand that. But look here. That like as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also walk in newness of life. The even so points back to the glory of the Father. So if Jesus Christ rose from the dead by the glory of the Father, that means also in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, by the glory of the Father, a dead sinner made alive now walks in it. You see how... If someone says they're saved and they don't walk in newness of life, they're actually rejecting the bodily death, burial, and resurrection of God in the flesh. Oh, I didn't say all that. I don't mean all that. Well, you know them by their fruit. A son of God. His office, his messiahship, the mediator of the new covenant, the, the surety as a prophet, and priest and king, it has a tangible outcome. A tangible outcome, right? Has to. He says again in our text, if there come any unto you and bring not this doctrine, well, how do you know? You don't know this by necessarily many times. You can you can draw it out through conversation and interrogation, but examination. So what does this lead me to believe? Yes, as much as I would like to see a hundred people walk in that door right now confessing Christ, does that mean at their confession we should, okay, let's, let's turn on the water or go out to Village Creek in the four inches of water out there and find a deep spot where all the alligators are? Does this mean that we're to examine them? What did Peter say? Well, when they, it, it, whenever they start speaking in tongues, he said, who am I to forbid water? But there was evidence, wasn't there? Evidence. I believe that there should be an examination. How long is that period? Should we say, okay, we watched somebody for three months or six months or whatever? I'm not saying that, but I think we should examine someone long enough to know if they're of the doctrine of Christ. If, if, there, is, if there is fruit of, of repentance. Now, sometimes that might take just a few moments. You talk to somebody when... 
when Bobby, I'm going to pick on Bobby, a couple years ago at a conference, he was sitting over here and he was just a mess, right? So Sunday, I brought over a change of clothes because I, it would have been a surprising thing for me if he had not stood up in front of this body and confessed himself a sinner saved by grace. What proper, what exam, what more did we, what more did I want? Was he still a sinner? Is he still a human being? Absolutely. But as far as I could tell, there was evidence of a of, of a raw uh, desire of salvation and conviction of sin, right? There was a, even from I don't know how you're eight, eighteen now, so four years ago, so fourteen. As much as a fourteen year old can express it, or however old, there was evidence that he held the doctrine of Christ. And if we were proven wrong in that, then he would have weaned himself out and not been here anymore, right? But there has to be examination of his messiahship, of his sufferings. Not just understanding, oh yeah, he died for me, but what does that mean? The just for the unjust. I'm a sinner. I deserve the wrath of God. He took it instead. In his body, he bore my sins. The gospel that brings grace, mercy, peace, repentance, pardon, justification, and complete salvation. Could you have explained all that when you were first saved? I couldn't have. But I know it was real, and I know that there was forgiveness, and I know there was a change. I wasn't what I was. John Jasper, if he is what you was, you ain't. That I knew that I had been forgiven, that I knew that, that based on the work of Christ, that before God I was justified, freed from the law. And that had an immediate impact on my life, not understanding near, and I don't understand a whole lot now, but what I understand now, I didn't know and understand near that when the Lord saved me, but I knew there was a change. The people around me knew there was a change. That's right. There's an old bluegrass song, Rank Strangers. Y'all ever heard that song, Rank Strangers? And the chorus, he says, everybody I met seemed to be a rank stranger, no mother, no dad, not a friend could I see. I knew not their name, I knew not their faces. I found they were all rank strangers to me. So in that song, he's not saying all of a sudden he's got amnesia and can't, doesn't know anybody, but the, the world around him, as he saw it after an event, was changed, and it was like he never even knew these people before. That's what salvation is like. It's like, how could, how could I do that? How could I hang out with these people? What, what's going on? Oh, you have to experience what I've experienced. Let me tell you how it happened. The doctrine of Christ. I was dead and now I'm alive. I was blind, now I see. That man in John chapter 5, they asked him a whole bunch of times, didn't they? Who did it? Who did it? I told you before you won't believe me. Let me tell you again. The doctrine of Christ. The doctrine of Christ, how that he impacts the lives of those he touched. In in 2 John verses 3 and 4, grace be with you, Mercy and peace from God the Father. Grace, mercy, peace from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and in love. So truth and love. People stop at truth and love. What's love? What's truth? Well, it's only in Christ. We don't understand that. But read verse 4. I rejoice greatly that I found thy children walking in truth as we have received a commandment from the Father. So walking in truth is a is, is a particular grace of the grace of God and the mercy of God and the peace of God. So but you see in verse 3, he says, God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Go now to the verse number 9. He that abideth or walks in the doctrine of Christ, he hath both the Father and the Son, thus he also has a display of grace, mercy, and peace. See how you see how it's inseparable. Does that mean you'll never get sad and never get upset and never get depressed and you know never go outside and just scream at the sky? Does that mean you'll never be a human being? No, but that kind of stuff bothers you. But there is a there is a manifestation. The doctrine of Christ, salvation necessitates that there's evidence. Evidence. Now, are we saved by that evidence? No. It's not good works unto salvation. It's good works because of salvation, you see. We've memorized those verses, and it's been a while since I I handed out those verses. So turn over to Ephesians, if you would, please, in chapter 6. Ephesians, excuse me, chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. And we like the for by grace are you saved through faith, and that none of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Oh, yeah, hallelujah. Shout amen. Not of works, as any man should boast. And that's sometimes where people stop. For we are his workmanship. Yes, the work of God. Yes. Created in Christ Jesus. 100% unto good works. Which God hath before ordained that we should what? Walk in them. Paul... uh, Paul wasn't Gnostic, was he? He believed that the salvation experienced by the by the providential grace of God was would be evident in the lives. And those things that the children of God do by the command of God would be evidenced because God in the flesh died for their sins. The impact of the gospel literally touches the lives. Of, of those that he saves. Again, and I don't believe, I don't believe God has ever had a stillborn new birth. Raise your hand if you don't know what a stillbirth is. Everybody knows what a stillbirth is. I got one person, thank you for being honest, doesn't know what a stillbirth is. So if a mom is carrying a baby and that baby is delivered, but it's delivered dead, that's a stillbirth. I've been in the room during stillbirths. It is no time for rejoicing. You know, if, if you look at the parable, the the, the 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 shepherd that went out left his 99 sheep to pick up the one. What did he do when he found the sheep? He sent home rejoicing, tell my tell him I found my sheep. There is no rejoicing in a room of stillbirth. God does not have stillbirth children. Every stinking one of us. Now we're not all the same. We're not all the same. But every child of God that has been saved according to the doctrine of Christ, has evidence of life. There's an impact on the lives that he has touched. So when he says, in verse 9, Whoso transgresseth or continues in their sin and does not show evidence of life of the new birth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ, the tangible new birth hath not God. They believe the and, and this has, yes, that, that that God Almighty ascended and that He 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 in his, He presently intercedes, but also that the child of God would um, be not anxiously awaiting, but on the tiptoes of faith awaiting the return of Jesus Christ and doing so with all with all joy. Paul, in, in 2 Timothy, we read last time in 2 Timothy, he said, I fought the good fight, I ran the race. You know, he, he was excited 
about that crown that would that is that would become. Look in Titus chapter two. For the for the grace of God, Titus chapter two and verse eleven. Okay, talking about the the imminent return of Jesus Christ. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, all manner of men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Some people skip that verse when they teach. They skip right to verse 13, looking for that blessed hope and glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ. Hallelujah, he's coming again soon. I believe that. But if I really believe verse 13, it will be evident if I hold to the doctrine of Christ that he's coming back any moment, I will be living, verse 12, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. The doctrine of Christ. So, he says, if there come in any unto you, if there come any unto you and bring not this doctrine, the doctrine of Christ, is anybody, I know we're still growing, and it's something, we just opened the door to the doctrine of Christ in a summary way last week. But is, is there anyone that doesn't have a general idea of what the doctrine of Christ is? Everybody's got a general idea of what it is. If there come any unto you and bring not this doctrine, receive him not into your house. Again, they will come, and they have come. So we should be circumspect. Yeah. I mean, if I if I preach certain things and you all agree with them, but my life isn't consistent with that, then you need to deal with that, right? If there come any unto you. Now, yes, entering in the assembly, and I mentioned that they come forth and and... You know, they make a profession of faith, and we should examine them for a while. But what if, after a due examination, yes, we vote, we enter them into the, 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 the fold here, and through baptism, exercise authority, and after a time, it comes out that they really don't. I mean, they can agree with everything that's said, but in their lives, they, there's friction, there's rub, there's contrast there. The in the in the actual doctrine of Christ, the actual living of it. Be reminded that the law came to the children of Israel after they were delivered, and there's much grace in the law. And I, I trust you've seen that as we're studying the law. Yes, there's a lot of do's and don'ts, but a lot of it comes back. Hey, a lot of these problems are solved if you live. Trust in the Lord and doing what he says and living under grace and mercy, right? So examination. So say after a time, I've been pastoring here for five years. So after a time, you see that I'm not living it. Well, again, you got to deal with that, you know? If I see over time that even someone in my own household, that, that they, they might acquiesce to certain truths, but their lives just don't bear it out, then you've got to deal with that. He says... Receive him not into your house. Go back to and bring not this doctrine. Everybody brings a doctrine. Okay? And when he says brings, he's also meaning carry. Right? If you, if you say that you're... Brother White, if you say you're bringing a pot of beans for lunch next time, 
That doesn't mean you're going to be walking along and the pot of beans is going to be following behind you. You're literally going to be bringing and carrying the pot of beans. right? So when I say I bring a doctrine, yeah, it's what comes out of my mouth, but my teachings, I teach quite a bit when I'm absolutely silent. We, everybody brings or teaches some, some doctrine. Okay? So what doctrine? He says if any, they're coming to you and bring not this doctrine, what are they bringing? Look over in Matthew chapter 7, if you would, please. Matthew chapter 7. And I've said before, what people say is who they pretend to be. What they do is who they actually are. I believe that. Matthew chapter 7, verse 20. He says, Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. Right? Go back to verse 18. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. It would be a very strange thing for those persimmon trees to start casting down oranges. I don't like persimmons, so that I can say it's not a tasty fruit. So Brother Gary and I would disagree with that. But that's just an example. Some of y'all don't like figs. I think they're delicious. So a tree will not change of itself, you see. So by examination, I know that those are persimmon trees. I know that those are fig trees. I've seen apples, never tasted one over these over here. Known by their fruit. So Jesus Christ himself preached the doctrine of Christ. That conversion has an evidence. Okay. So if evidently someone does not have the produce or the outcome... Again, we're not looking for perfection. If we look for perfection, then no one's saved. But if someone does not have the outcome of the doctrine of Christ, he says, receive him not into your house. That's the household or the fellowship or the church. What fellowship is there with God and Belial? Paul asked that, didn't he? What fellowship is there with truth and lie? There's contrast. But I want you to look at this. And I know that not you know, we're not going to have full understanding. When the Lord saved me, I had very little understanding, real literal understanding. I thought I knew a lot, but I didn't. And everybody's not going to know everything at conversion. There may be some things that just they just haven't been taught. Right. I mean, I've known people that they, they were involved in different kinds of societies and assemblies and all kinds of stuff and heard all kinds of mess. And when they hear things that are true, they believe those things and hold to them tearfully sometimes. And sometimes they're upset that they never heard it before and they get angry. Why did nobody ever tell me this? Well, none of us are perfect at conversion. But again, the core doctrine of Christ, I was dead, now I'm alive. And he did it. But the Lord's church, look at this, when he says, receive him not into your house, that's a command. That's not a suggestion. So the Lord's church does not have to put up with that mess, plain and simple, right? While, while we do encourage growth, this is not a daycare for unsaved people. That's right. Unsaved people, and I'll, I'll say this, I've said it before, I'll say it again. One of the reasons I preach verse by verse is because it gives me nowhere to hide. It gives you nowhere to hide. 
And God wrote this. He, he inspired this Bible in its intended form to men of old the way he wants it. He doesn't need me to edit it and copy and paste and put all these other different things together. It is what it is, and it's good, profitable for doctrine, reproof, rebuke. So it's going to catch us all here. And it'll be it'll 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 rub the flesh raw, but the children of God will be stirred in joy over the Lord, right? But the uh, when I say that the Lord's church doesn't have to put up with that mess, and it's not a daycare for the unsaved, it's not my responsibility, nor is it yours, to make this a place where the unsaved feel comfortable. They should feel uncomfortable in that we are not to receive them. They should feel uncomfortable, and we have the right to ask them to leave. Read that again and tell me how I've misinterpreted it. Receive him not into your house or her. Receive him not into your house. You're not welcome. You don't have the doctrine of Christ. You're, you, you might be saying certain things, but the way it, the, it, the behavior, it just it's not fit for this place. That's what it says. If there come any unto you, and bring not this doctrine... Literally carrying it or bearing it. If there is no evidence of the doctrine of Christ, of him abiding in it, not abiding in transgression, but abiding in the doctrine of Christ, not sinlessly perfect, but desiring to be in fellowship with God who is light, and in him there is no darkness at all, 1 John chapter 1. He hath both the Father and the Son. There is tangible evidence of that new birth. The Lord's church does not have to put up with anything otherwise. Well, that sounds hateful, doesn't it? No. What did Israel do by the command of the law? What did they do? They were told, do not, do not, do not go out there and fellowship with the world. But if a stranger comes in and adopts Judaism, adopts those things under Mosaic law, submits himself, then you treat him as a Jew, right? That means... A con one converted, now having adopted behavior into a society, is welcomed into that society. Right? Yeah. So, that means the stranger brought the doctrine under Mosaic law of the Jew. And if he didn't, if he said, you know what, I want to live under the protections of, uh, of Judaism, and y'all got the Ark of the Covenant and all this stuff, I don't live under your but I'm not, I'm not living... Uh, uh, you know, under your laws and under that kind of thing. I ain't going to do that. What were they supposed to do? <clears throat> not have any part of them, right? So the Lord's church is not obligated to support or condone those of unsound doctrine or those of unsound teaching or those of unsound living. You see how Paul talked to specifically the church of Corinth. He said, hey, look, there's stuff going on there. It shouldn't be going on. As much as I'm with you in spirit, next time y'all get together, you handle that and you you receive them not into your house. The Lord's church, therefore, is to be wise, a scrutinizing body, a deliberate body in its membership. Second John chapter uh, verse eight. Look back. Second John verse eight. Look to yourselves that we lose not those things which we have wrought but that we receive a full reward. So if we're looking to ourselves 
If there is anyone among us that holds not the doctrine of Christ, it will become apparent. By my perception at this time, as I see everything, the, the membership as we have it here, it seems like everyone's just beaming over the doctrine of Christ. And that really pumps me up. Go back to verse 4. I rejoice greatly that I found of thy children walking in truth. That is, that is it's such a blessing. It really is to pastor a group that desires to walk it, to live it. That the doctrine of Christ has so impacted your lives that you desire to walk it, to live it, to look to yourselves and thank God at every time saying, by thy grace have I come. It's wonderful. It's amazing. It's a joy. To seeing everyone grow and be satisfied in the graces of God according to the doctrine of Christ. The Lord's church is not for the house of deceivers and antichrists nor should they feel at home. Now, we should be a welcoming pity, and uh, we should be a welcoming party, I would say. We should be welcoming. We should be inviting all, all men. Come, come here. The wonderful words of God. What did the man in the book of Acts do when Peter was coming around? He called all his friends and family and said, Hey, come here. To them, to this man going to speak the words of God. Come here. That's how we should, that's how we should be, desiring that all our acquaintance hear the words of God, not hear me, hear the words of God. And those that were there were there because they wanted to be. But he probably invited some that didn't show up. Why? Because they didn't want to hear it, right? Those that hold not, just as much as we should not tolerate those that hold not the, the doctrine of Christ, those that hold not the to- doctrine of Christ won't tolerate us very much either. They won't tolerate us very much either. And again, it's because we don't have the same thing. You know, people talk of God and who He is and what He does and everything, but you can tell sometimes pretty quickly that, hey, the same person you're calling God is not the same person that saved my soul. They don't have the doctrine of Christ. So they shouldn't feel at home. We shouldn't want to receive them into our house, and they shouldn't want to come in. They should feel uncomfortable, right? I mean, think about it. If, you, if you've been crossways with somebody in your life before, and then out of nowhere they invited you over to your house, would you feel welcome to go? Probably not, right? Unless there's been some kind of reconciliation and a talk out and everything, but just out of the blue, hey, you want to come over? No, I don't feel welcome. I'm not going there. I've been invited to parties and functions and stuff, and I just turn it down. I don't feel welcome there. Don't want to go. So they shouldn't feel welcome. We shouldn't receive them, and they shouldn't feel welcome. Not that we would be an unwelcoming people, but the things of God are unwelcoming to them, you see, because they don't have the doctrine of Christ. He says, neither bid them Godspeed. And, and that means don't, don't tell them to be well or be glad or salute you and, or thrive you to be well. This this some, this might get raw a little bit. You ever told somebody have a blessed day? Have a blessed day. You ever? I've told people that. You ever told people that have a blessed day? Well, if you tell someone who does not abide in the doctrine of Christ to have a blessed day, you're wishing them Godspeed. 
You're wishing them success on their absence of the doctrine of Christ. So if someone holds to a a God did his part and I did my part, they don't hold the doctrine of Christ. And if you say, okay, well, have a blessed day, you're wishing them well in that doctrine and in that way of life. And he told us not to do that. Well, that sounds like you're becoming an isolationist. Well, that's what the Bible says. Well, you're going to be awful alone if you start drawing those kind of lines. Neither bid him Godspeed. It's in black and white in the text I'm reading. What is it in yours? We're not making this stuff up here. Neither bid them Godspeed. We're not to be mean or nasty. I'm not to, I'm not to be mean or nasty. We're not to bid unsound, unsavory, and unsaved people success in their doctrine, in their teaching, or in their living. Nor in their living. And sometimes that's tough. Assisting people who are living outside the doctrine of Christ. Should we be helpful and peaceable? Yes. But we shouldn't be helping anyone sin nor encouraging them to do so. That's right. And wishing them Godspeed, those who are outside the doctrine of Christ. We have people... We have people who are under disciplinary action of this church. We should pray for their repentance. Whether that be conversion or restoration. I don't pray them well. I I don't pray them. I don't pray to God that their lives would thrive or be well. I pray for their repentance. Because if I pray for their lives to be well, I am now, verse 11, we're going to get into it. For he that biddeth him Godspeed is a partaker of his evil deeds. We're going to get into that more next week. If I'm wishing someone well or praying someone well or to thrive who is not holding the doctrine of Christ or living it, now I'm taking, I'm party to the crime. I find that to be very serious. Party to the crime. What's that mean? Um, that case I was on last week, last year, in the, in the as a juror, the woman was on the options for sentencing. It was life in prison without parole if she were found party to the crime with intent to do harm to a minor. Party to the crime. Although she didn't stop it, she intently left her child with a monster. In my point of view, it would be the same as if she went to the zoo every day and put her child in the lion cage, and then one day the lion ate the child. She couldn't say, oh, how'd that happen? Well, she intentionally was leaving her child with predator, right? So it's party to the crime. So someone who wishes someone who does not have the doctrine of Christ, meaning they say they believe God but don't live it, and wishing them well that they would thrive, that person, again, don't be mean, don't be nasty, but do tell them, no, I'm not going to wish you well, and nor am I going to help you in your ungodly living or support your ungodly teaching or doctrine. Sufficient to say... 
This is not to be tolerated, supported, or brought in the Lord's assembly at all. He says, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, receive him not into your house. That stuff can be infectious. It can be infectious. We start making exceptions because, ah, oh, it's just so-and-so. Well, if it's just so-and-so and we can make an exception, well, then when does it end? If, if so-and-so starts rubbing off on so-and-so and so-and-so, and then before you know it, half the group is all following so-and-so, not abiding in the doctrine of Christ, now what kind of problem do we have? Specifically, the Gnostic idea of sal- knowledge is salvation without bodily form of the doctrine of Christ. It's pretty close to antinomianism. I'm saved, now I can do whatever I want. It's very close to that. But Gnosticism. He says, if anybody comes to you not holding this doctrine and does not hold the doctrine of Christ, if any Gnostics come in that don't believe that God came in the flesh, Jesus Christ, he's the Son of God, he is in his body, that he is, he is uh, both Christ and he is Messiah, he's the mediator of the new covenant, that he liberates, yes, in eternity from sin, but also in this life he sets us free. First John chapter 3. Verse 2, Beloved, now we're the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Yes, when he comes, we'll be like him. That's then. The here and now, verse 3, And every man that hath this hope, that then will be like him, hath this hope, looking forward, in him purified himself, even as he is pure in the here and now, the doctrine of Christ. Anyone that does not hold the doctrine of Christ according to grace, mercy, peace, repentance, pardon, justification, with complete salvation in this life and in the world to come, don't have them. Don't, don't, don't receive them. Don't wish them well. Don't, don't bid them Godspeed. If they, don't, if they don't end their lives, God has not so impacted their lives and touched them in such a way that they walk in it. Don't wish them well. Don't don't pray them God's speed or or thriving. Tell them their great need. Well, that's monstrous. Tell them their great need. Well, I don't want to judge anybody. Tell them their great need. And it might hurt their feelings a little bit. You know what? If somebody told me that I was living in such a way that they thought that I was unsaved and they told me to repent and believe the gospel, you know what that would do to my heart? It would break it. My God, how have I felt as a representative and ambassador of God if people question the work of God in me? Tell them their great need. If someone expressed to me the gospel, that's... And they tried to tell me how that I might experience salvation. Well, that's that's time of rejoicing. <laughs> well, I've got what you're talking about. Let me let me tell you how I about how I've got what you're talking about. Yeah. Neither beat him God's speed. The ascension, the present intercession, his imminent return. How does it impact our lives?
I made mention of it. Look over again in 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy in chapter 4. What did Paul, when he was considering the end of his life, and this is the last known record that Paul wrote anybody, so you could say he's writing his own eulogy here. And 2 Timothy chapter 4 Verses, and you could almost hear the chains there at the Mamantine prison that, that they're coming right now to take his head off. And 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 6 For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight, I have finished my course, I have kept the faith. Those are verbs. That's not him just sitting in his room, just, you know, just relishing over the knowledge of his salvation. He lived it. I'm ready to be offered. I lived it. Thank God by grace. Henceforth, moving forward, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give to me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all of all them also that love his appearing. Well, how, how do we measure if someone loves the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you fought a good fight? Have you finished your course? You run in your race? Are you keeping or guarding the faith? Are you drawing lines in the sand over, over the doctrine of Christ? The Gnostic will say these things are not necessary cover to cover in the Word of God. We read otherwise. If there come any unto you and bring not this doctrine, receive him not into your house, neither bid him God speak. Children of God, hold that doctrine of Christ dear. Hold it, dear. Run it through your minds. If you want, I'll put in the text message point by point, just the general outline of the doctrine of Christ. Run it through your minds. Comfort your hearts. The doctrine of Christ. What does that mean? Go do your own personal study in each facet of the doctrine of Christ. Be, be enriched in these things, but may that study impact our lives. Be wise. Be on alert. Because there has come and there will come unto us some that bring not that doctrine. Receive him not. Be wise. Be on alert. Neither bid them Godspeed. Don't be a help to them. Don't wish them well in their Gnosticism. That would be as though, and as religious as they may be, that would be as though that as private ministers, we're leading them by the hand to the wide gate. Then, we're looking at next week, be a partaker of their evil deeds. Then we're just like those false prophets in Matthew chapter 7 that led people to the wide gate. Look to yourselves, verse 8, that we lose not those things which we have wrought, but that we receive a full reward. Oh, man. You see the seriousness of this? The seriousness of the doctrine of Christ? Well, y'all, you'll never grow that way. As many as gladly received the word were baptized. That's what it says in Acts chapter 2, doesn't it? God saves his people. And he doesn't need flowery language or us bending rules to save his people, nor to add them to his assembly. Be sure that we are living according to the doctrine of Christ and that as much as we love each aspect of it, we desire to share the doctrine of Christ with every creature. That's part of the commission. 
is telling every creature what great things the Lord has done for us. Children of God. Sinner. Apart from the doctrine of Christ, none shall be received of God. You know, when I, when I preach these things, I'm not doing it from a position that I'm better than anyone else and that, or that, that I'm elevated or, or suddenly I've arrived. I was dead in trespasses and sins, but God, who is rich in mercy, with his great love, wherewith he loved me, even when I was dead, Christ Even when I was dead, for his great love, worth he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace are you saved. All I am, as that, that song goes, you might have heard it, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. You're a sinner. You are in need of salvation, and your works won't get you there, neither will your knowledge. You could sit under sound preaching for the rest of your life, never taking a break, and that knowledge going in your head will never save you. It's a work of God, and He alone. Don't think that there'll be some emotion that will finally tame your dead heart. No emotion will. Emotion, emotional preaching won't get you there. Feeling a certain feeling, hearing a song. There used to be a certain song that when the congregation would sing, I'd just break apart, just just tears. That song never saved my soul. Maybe I felt I felt shame, but it never saved my soul. The new birth. Only the doctrine of Christ, God in the flesh, how that he died for the ungodly, was buried and rose again. And when I mean died for the ungodly, not just died a death, but as a substitute. He bore their sins. You know what a substitute is, right? Sports, one man goes in, another man comes out, or woman, whatever the case, boy or girl. I deserve the wrath of God. He substituted for me. I became his righteousness. He became my sin, who knew no sin. That I might be made the righteousness of God in him. And that's it. That's the doctrine of Christ. God in the flesh, saving his people. From their sins. Repent. Believe him. That he is who he says he is. By the power of God, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And I shall be saved. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word.